On July 19, A.D. 64, Rome caught fire. For three days and three nights, that fire was out of control. Ancient temples and landmarks were swept away. Homes were destroyed. Ten of the 14 city wards suffered damage. Three of the city wards were reduced to rubble. And the people of Rome were distraught. The people of Rome were angry. The people of Rome were mad. They were mad because the word on the street was that Nero, Emperor Nero, had started the fire on purpose to burn the buildings down so that he could rebuild and look good. Worst case scenario, even if he didn't start the fire, he didn't do much to put the fire out. So Nero, Emperor Nero, needed a scapegoat. He needed someone to blame. And he chose the Christians. So the people of Rome shifted their anger from Nero to the Christians. And persecution was rampant. Christians were being burned at the stake like torches, being thrown in to lion's dens. They were being martyred because Nero needed a scapegoat. Christianity quickly became an illegal religion. They'd been allowed to prosper to a certain degree because they weren't causing any problems. But now that the people thought, hey, the Christians did this, Persecution was at an all-time high. What do you say to people who are going through that kind of persecution? What do you say to people who are losing their lives and family members are losing their lives? What do you say to people whose families are being torn apart? What do you say to people if you go to worship back in the first century and they found out you were a Christian, they would haul you off to prison, you'd be arrested, you might be persecuted, you might die. What do you say to people like that? What words of encouragement come to your mind? Well, let me tell you what some of the Bible writers said. In Romans 8, Paul said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. In Revelation, be faithful even to the point of death, and I'll give you the crown of life. And in 2 Corinthians, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our... Light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. What do you say to people who are suffering? Well, let me tell you what Peter said. We're going to be in Peter today. Here's the good news that Peter said. To people who were dying, to people who were being persecuted to people whose families were being torn apart, his words of encouragement were, Jesus is coming back. Words of encouragement in the midst of death, Jesus is coming back. We're in a study called Make Every Effort, and all we're doing is finding that phrase in the Bible in the New Testament, make every effort. And that phrase, make every effort, is really one word in the Greek, and it means to hurry Make haste to be bent upon, to endeavor earnestly, to be diligent, to be zealously engaged, to exert oneself, to pursue earnestly. So we've just been finding that phrase and studying. So we looked at 2 Timothy 2, make every effort. And we talked about being students of the Bible and reading the Bible. And we encourage you to be in the book so that you can get to know God. And please write your verses down. Just write down how many verses you read. And we've got a, a... 
thing back there, a chart. What's it called? Thermometer. Thank you. I was thanking me because I thought of it. A thermometer. Uh, So we want to encourage you to be in the Bible. There remains a rest, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So make every effort to enter that rest. Not just a heavenly rest. Not just when you die, go to heaven rest. But Jesus says, if we come to Him, He'll give us rest. Make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, kindness, brotherly kindness, and love. Make every effort to make your calling and election sure. Because if you do these things, you will never fall and you'll receive a rich welcome. Make every effort last week to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Other verses tied to that. Make every effort to do what leads to peace. Make every effort to live in peace. Be diligent about this. Exert yourself. Give it top priority. Make it a top priority. All of these things. Make every effort. And I've been showing you pictures of athletes, of, of track people that are straining to get to that finish line. They're making every effort to finish that race. And that's the word here. Make every effort. Spudazzo. I love the word. I just love the way it sounds. Spudazzo. And we're going to be in Peter again because Peter seems to like that word. He's already used it twice and we're going to see it a couple of more times. Make every effort. So here's what Peter has to say in Second Peter 3. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing. I love that verse. What else do scoffers do? They scoff. They mock. They ridicule. They make fun of. They deride. They say, where's the coming that He promised? And how much more do we need that encouragement 2,000 years removed? They needed it back then. We need it all the more. Where's this promise? I mean, Jesus said He was coming back. He hasn't come back. And scoffers are going to say, you know what? He's not coming back. You know why scoffers don't want Jesus to come back? Because when Jesus comes back, He's going to judge. And if you're not living right, and if you're not ready, you don't want Jesus to come back. And if you like the sinful lifestyle that you're enjoying, if you like whatever it is that you're involved in that is not according to God's ways, you don't want Jesus to come back. And so scoffers are going to say, you know what, He's not coming He hasn't come in 2,000 years. In fact, Christians sometimes can start thinking, you know what, He he hasn't come in 2,000 years. So I might as well just keep doing what I'm doing. Keep living the way I'm living. It's really no big deal. He's probably not going to come in my lifetime. And it's easy for us to fall into that trap of thinking, well, it has been 2,000 years. And so Peter says, you know what, there's going to be some people come that don't want Jesus to come back because they're not living right. So he goes on. Don't forget this one thing. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord's not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You know, a thousand years, two thousand years, God in heaven's thinking, it's like a day. To us, it's like a thousand years. God's thinking, it's just a day. Where's that promise that He promised? Well, just because Jesus hasn't come back doesn't mean God hasn't fulfilled His promise. It just means God's giving us opportunity to repent. 
God's giving us opportunity to receive salvation. God's giving us opportunity to respond to Jesus. Where's that promise? That promise is God because He's patient with us and long-suffering with us. And He loves us so much, He wants us. He's giving us time. The fact that you're breathing means God loves you and He wants you to respond to His Son. Jesus is coming back. If you don't believe that, Jesus said that Himself. Let me read this. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Jesus said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm coming back. I'm coming back to get you. Paul said, for the Lord Himself will come down from heaven. The angels, when Jesus was ascending back to heaven in Acts chapter 1, said, this same Jesus will come back. The Hebrew writer said... That Jesus will appear a second time. Listen, folks, Jesus is coming back. There's a lot of things in the Bible you might want to argue with. You might not even believe Jesus is coming back, but that won't change the fact He's coming back. He's coming back. And that was meant to be words of encouragement. That's not supposed to be something that brings fear. That's not supposed to be something that makes us afraid. Those are supposed to be words of encouragement. Jesus is coming back in the midst of whatever you're going through today. In the midst of whatever relationship difficulties. In the midst of financial difficulties. Whatever it is you're struggling with today. The good news is when Jesus comes back you won't be struggling with that anymore. That's good news. Jesus is coming back. Men may not keep their promises But God does. This doctrine of the second coming that says Jesus is coming back, just to let you know how important it is, the doctrine of the second coming appears in 23 of the 27 New Testament books. It appears in 318 verses, 1 20th of the New Testament. It appears eight times more than the doctrine of the atonement. It appears eight times more than the doctrine of the first coming. The good news is Jesus is coming back. What do you write to people who are struggling? Jesus is coming back. And that's the good news. So he continues. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, since Jesus is coming back, what kind of people ought you to be? I mean, how should you be living? How should we be living? He says you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed it's coming. And just so you know that speed it's coming... Hasten its coming is spudo. Peter uses the word again. We can hasten the coming of Jesus if we repent and live godly lives. He goes on, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with His promise. Where's that promise? He's keeping His promise. Jesus hasn't come back. He's going to. In keeping with His promise, a second time we ought to look forward to a new heaven A new earth, the home of righteousness. Listen, folks, everything about heaven should be appealing to us. I think I've used this illustration before. Am I there yet? Let's do this. Randy Alcorn, in his book, Heaven, he lists things that won't be in heaven. No death, no suffering. No funeral homes, abortion clinics, psychiatric wards, no rape, missing children. No drug rehab centers, no bigotry, no muggings or killings, no worry, depression, economic downturns, no wars, unemployment, no anguish over failure and miscommunication, no con men, no locks, no death, no mourning, no pain, no boredom, no arthritis, 
No handicaps, no cancer, no taxes, no bills, no computer crashes, no weeds, no bombs, no drunkenness, traffic jams, accidents. He goes on, clicks, put-downs, hidden agendas. What doesn't sound appealing about that? Knowing that we're going to see God, knowing that we're going to see Jesus, but the no mores? I mean, everything we read about heaven, I mean, we're going to get a new body, we're going to get new clothes, we're going to get a new home, we get to renew acquaintances and renew faces, we're going to be as white, everything about heaven should be appealing. So since the heavens will be destroyed in that, the heavens and the earth will be destroyed in that way, and since we're going to be going back with Jesus, what's not appealing about that? What kind of lives ought you to be living? God loves us so much that He sent His Son the first time to die on the cross, to take our place on the cross, to shed His blood, to pay a sin debt so that we could be right with God. And He said, you know what? I'm going to send my Son a second time to come get you, to take you to be home with God. And so Peter says, So then, dear friends, since you're a third time looking forward to this, there's our word, make Every effort. Be diligent about this. Make this a priority. Exert yourself. Hasten this. Be diligent about this. Do your best. Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. That promise that He's not coming. The fact that Jesus hasn't come again, you can still be saved. You can still be right with God. You can still be at peace with God. So since you already know this, You need to be on your guard so you may not be carried away by the air of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So Peter says, look, Jesus is coming again. So since He's coming again, we should constantly be prepared. We need to be ready. And we need to be found spotless and blameless and at peace. And we need to be on our guard. And we need to watch because people are going to try to talk us out of this. The fact that Jesus is coming again should change our behavior. The fact that Jesus is coming again ought to change how we live. It ought to influence how we use and spend our money. It ought to influence how we use our speech. It ought to influence and inspire us as we talk to other people. It ought to encourage us to encourage other people to be right with God because we've got a message of good news. Everything about Jesus coming again ought to change everything about us. What kind of people ought we to be? The kind of people God calls us to be. It should affect every aspect of our lives. Let me illustrate this way. Michael Strahan's a retired football player who played his entire 15-year career with the New York Giants. He set a record for the most sacks in a season in 2001. He won a Super Bowl in his last year in 1997. He serves as co-host on Live with Kelly and Michael. He's a regular contributor on Good Morning America. He's a football analyst on Fox NFL Sunday, elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2014. He was selected to the Pro Bowl seven times. He led the league in sacks two times. He was the NFC Defensive Player of the Year twice. He was the NFL Player of the Year once. He was the Sports Illustrated Player of the Year once. But before any of that, before any of those successes, He was just Michael Strahan, the youngest of six. And at nine years old, he said, you know what, I really want a bike. So if you do the math, we're late 70s, early 80s. At nine years old, he said, Dad, I really want this BMX bike. I really want this $1,200 BMX bike. And his dad said, 
I'll get that for you. But you need to show me how much you want it. And so that summer when Michael Strahan was nine, he spent every waking hour mowing yards. Every yard he could find. He mowed and mowed and mowed and mowed. And he contributed to the purchase of that bike. And he still has that bike. Maybe you've seen the interview. His kids want to ride the bike. And he said, you ain't riding that bike. It's my bike. I'll buy you another bike. But that's the bike that my dad worked hard to get me, still has that bike to this day to remind him of what his father had done for him. Our father has given us salvation. And because God has given us salvation, we should make every effort not to earn it, not to achieve it, not to acquire it, not because it's all on us, but God loves us so much We should make every effort in return to show Him how much we appreciate that gift. To show Him how much we love Him for that gift. To express our faith. How do we do that? We need to be found spotless and blameless. And you're like, yeah, I'm out. I can't do that. Richie, I can't be perfect. And I can't either. But you know what? You can leave here today right with God. Perfect. Washed. Cleansed. Spotless, blameless, right with God. What's not appealing about that? You can have all that in Jesus Christ. In Jesus, because of His blood, His blood washes our sins away. And His blood makes us righteous. And His blood makes us spotless. And His blood continues to cleanse us as we make every effort to live godly and holy lives. What's not appealing about that? God calls us to make every effort to follow Jesus and to be like His Son. So we offer the invitation of Jesus Christ today. Don't walk out of here not right with God. You don't hear me very many times get heavy on an invitation. I'll mention some things and I'll encourage you, but I'm going to tell you, you don't know how long your life's going to last and you don't know what you're going to be hit with and you don't know what sickness is going to come your way. You need to be right with God. And there's no reason you can't be. You can be right with God. You say, Richie, I don't like crowds. I don't either. So if you'd rather the crowd dismiss and come back in the afternoon, we can do that. If you want to come some evening, we can do that, but... But listen, you need to be right with God. If you've never obeyed Jesus Christ, if you've never repented of your sins, if you've never confessed, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, if you've never been baptized for the remission of your sins, you need to do that so that you can be ready and prepared. If you're ready, if you're prepared and you're living right, the second coming of Jesus, those are words of encouragement. If you're not ready, if you're not prepared, you're scared to death. And you don't have to be. But the invitation isn't just for people who've never obeyed Jesus. The invitation is for all Christians, all Christ followers. Maybe you're not living right. Maybe you're not following God the way you know you need to be following God. And maybe there's some sin that's entangled you. Maybe you're wrapped up. I'm not sure where you are as a Christian, but you don't need to leave here today without being right with God. How do I do that? Well, there's no formula 
There's no one, two, three. Except the Bible says, Jesus says, if you pray for forgiveness, the blood of Jesus cleanses you. So we've got several opportunities. You can go to the back and meet with our shepherds and they'll take you to a private room. And they'll pray with you and embrace you in prayer. Lift your name up before the throne of grace and you can be forgiven and right and have that guilt removed that's been on you for so long. If you need to respond to the invitation of Jesus, you can walk down front when we stand and sing this song of encouragement. If you want to respond afterwards, you can talk to any of our shepherds, any of our staff, anyone. Listen, church, you need to make every effort to be right with God. If you need to respond to the invitation today, please do so as we stand and sing.